she's there again. The same time every night she's there, sitting on the end of my bed, watching, waiting. I still don't think she can tell whether I'm awake or asleep, so I squeeze my eyes as tightly shut as I can and pray that when I open them, she'll be gone. But she isn't. She's there. She always is. And she's not alone. She has been visiting me at night like this for as long as I can remember, maybe even longer than that. Under the pallid moonlight, her skin looks grey like a shadow. Her white hair is wiry and yellowing, and her eyes are cloudy with cataracts. She has the stooped shoulders of an old woman, but something about her is childlike. For a time, all she did was sit there, perched on the end of my bed. I would lay still, paralyzed with terror, anticipating the squeeze of her bony fingers around my throat. But all she ever did was just sit there. I convinced myself that she wasn't really there, that she was just my imagination. But when that didn't work, I told myself that she was a life-size doll, made from wool and cotton, with two glass eyes that couldn't see. No different to the teddy bears that dutifully kept watch over me. And for a while, the delusion was enough to swallow down the fear. Just enough that I could go back to sleep, even with her watching me. Until the night she moved. She must have realized I was becoming accustomed to her. Having opened my eyes a crack to see her sitting there, just like usual, I had rolled over to go back to sleep almost immediately. But something felt different, as though the air had moved, or a draught had got in from the window. I opened my eyes properly, and she was standing right next to me, with a bony hand outstretched. I screamed and recoiled, threw off the covers, pushed myself back against the wall my bed was positioned next to, and covered my eyes with my hands. When I opened them again, the lights were on, and my mother was squinting and rubbing her eyes as she called me into her arms. It was just a nightmare, she said. There's nothing there. The next night, she was back to just sitting, though the second I caught sight of her, any chance of sleep was snatched away by those skeletal hands, which now sat cradled in her lap. Our strange little routine continued like this for weeks. A stalemate. Both of us catatonic in each other's company. It seemed as though she was waiting for my fear to subside as I got used to her presence again. I didn't think I would but her nightly visitations became so familiar that to be afraid of her seemed as ridiculous as being afraid of the wardrobe or the curtains. Just like last time, sleep returned, and I began to ignore her. That's when she started bringing the others. 
in all the time she had been visiting me, it had never crossed my mind that there were more like her. But as I roused myself awake one night to see her looking at the floor, or more accurately, something on the floor, I wiped the sleep from the corners of my eyes and leaned over my bed to see a small child picking through the toys I had quickly swept into a pile before my dad had ushered me into bed. They were younger than me, maybe only five or six years old, but that didn't make them any less terrifying. As I dragged my eyes away from the child, I noticed the woman looking intently at me. Though her face was mostly expressionless, it was as though she was looking to me for approval. She must have brought the child to show me that there were others, that I could go with her. Again, she stretched her bony hand towards me, as though asking me to take it. Her head bowed, but her clouded eyes fixed on mine. I returned her stare and shook my head sternly. She slowly placed her hand back into her lap and stared at the child on the floor. I threw myself back into bed and pressed my face hard into my pillow, willing the room around me to transform back to the comforting place it once was. When I finally raised my head again, the woman and the child were gone. I supposed that was why she brought Barney with her the next time. Barney and I had been friends since we were toddlers. I couldn't say why or how we had become friends. It just felt like we always had been. We were inseparable at times, one following the other like a shadow. I taught him how to climb trees. He showed me how to catch moths and keep them in jars. He knew the names of every single caterpillar we ever saw, and which butterflies they would turn into. I always won when we would sword fight with sticks. I would have done anything with Barney. Followed him anywhere. Into the darkest cave, the muddiest stream, even into one of those huts in the woods made of branches that I was sure were home to witches. But when I saw him there, in my room that night, her grey presence looming over him, I felt compelled to shout out. I told him to run, to get away from her and go home, but the sound of my voice didn't even register. He had his back to me, leafing through the pages of a book I had promised to lend him. I called out again, but it was no use. He couldn't hear me. All the commotion had woken both my parents, who came into the room with a mixture of concern and frustration on their faces. My dad stood directly between Barney and I, and I scrambled around him, only to see that Barney had disappeared. But the book he was reading had been left open on the floor. My father lifted me by the waist and laid me down on the bed, but my arms were flailing and my eyes were stinging with tears. He held the duvet tight over my trembling body and told me firmly that everything was all right and that I was safe now. 
I squeezed the tears from my eyes. They felt as hot as candle wax as they rolled down my face, and I cried until I was exhausted. By morning, my pillow was damp and cold from where I had cried myself to sleep, and my dad was still slumped on the floor next to my bed where he hadn't left my side. I didn't tell my parents that it was Barney in my room that night. He was meant to come over to play later that day, and I was going to ask him all about the woman, whether she watched him too, why she wanted us to take her hand, and why he hadn't heard me when he was in my room that night. But Barney didn't come over. When I asked my mother where he was, she pulled me into her arms and pressed my face into the warmth of her chest. I could hear the rush of her breathing the way you could hear the sea inside a conch shell. She kissed the top of my head and murmured that I wouldn't understand, but that Barney was somewhere safe now and everything would be okay. After Barney, I had hoped the woman would give up, but she came back again the next night. And she brought another friend. I recognized her the second I caught sight of her. It was Annie, the girl I'd met on holiday in Cornwall one year, whose freckly face with its gap-toothed smile usually lived in a picture frame on my wall. I hadn't seen Annie since that holiday, after our fleeting glimpse at romance, we'd promised each other that we'd be pen pals when we got home. Though after the first two or three letters, the novelty wore off for both of us. But seeing her there filled me with nostalgia, to the point that I reached out to push her messy copper hair out of her face, just as I had done when the salty sea breeze had tussled it into her eyes. And in a blink, Annie's soft, round face became haggard and old. The warmth of her red hair drained to yellowy white. That bony hand came grasping towards me, and a harrowing scream thrust itself from my lungs until they were empty, and I was gasping for breath, and my mother's hands were gently shaking me by my shoulders. The worst night came when I woke, damp with sweat. The air around me felt thick and hot. It smelled of rubber plimsolls and warm skin. I could feel the fullness in the room, pressing against me like bodies in a crowd. I wriggled out of the covers, but it brought no respite. The heat, the pressure, was unbearable as though a storm were about to break. I could barely see in the darkness, but the shapes were unmistakable. There were children, hundreds of them, crammed and squirming, filling every imaginable space in my room, the weight of them crushing me against my mattress. Tiny limbs even spilled out of the wardrobe and the drawers. With all the strength I had, I heaved myself from bed, swimming through the syrupy air to thrust open my bedroom window and climb into the clearness of the night. I had one knee up on the windowsill 
when I felt a grip on my ankle, strong and certain. I froze, too petrified to turn around and see the woman's emaciated hand clinging to my leg. The ground felt like it had been swept from under me as I flew backwards, weightless for what felt like seconds until I cracked my chin on the windowsill so hard my ears rang and the carpet hit my body like a truck, knocking the breath from my ribcage. As the bells peeling in my head subsided, I heard my father's voice shouting above me as my mother muffled sobs. After that night, my parents were convinced I was sick. I was confined to my room. My bed became my prison. The woman, my night watchman. I tried to tell them, but even when they put on their best sympathetic faces, I could see that neither of them believed anything I said. Whenever I tried to speak to her about it, my mother would involuntarily start picking the skin around her nails until it bled, and she had an excuse to run to the bathroom and weep. Where at first my father would stand protectively at the foot of my bed until I pretended to be asleep, now the landing light is my only guardian. And the woman sits at the end of my bed, the way she has done since the start. She's there now. But tonight my mother is here too, standing over my bed, looking towards where the old lady is sitting. I wonder whether she believes me now, whether she can see her for herself, so she knows I've been telling the truth all this time. My mother turns her face back towards me and smiles when she sees my eyes are open. She holds out her hand, the same way she does when we're crossing the road. And instinctively, I take it. She clasps her fingers around mine. Her hands are cold, and suddenly, everything feels far away. In the distance, I can hear my father crying.